Hey everybody, this is Stacey Higginbotham and Kevin Toefel bringing you another episode of the GigaOM Internet of Things podcast. Hello, Kevin. Somebody's had too much coffee this morning. I have not had any coffee because <laughs> I am caffeine free. I actually have had a lot of coffee, even though it doesn't sound like it. I was going to say, I'm just making up for your chill and relaxed demeanor, Kevin. It's a it's a holiday of sorts. It yeah. is a holiday. It is President's Day, but we are working here for you. Hard at work at the GigaOM Studios in Austin and... Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. I'm, I, I never can remember <laughs> what, what small cow town in Pennsylvania you live in. That's okay. You're like, I'm not going to tell anybody. It, it's No, I, I don't care. It's I'm in southeastern Pennsylvania. I'm between Philadelphia and Allentown, out in the sticks. I, I know a song about Allentown. I think most people do. There we I go. Hope. I well, hope. I think it's probably of a generation. Yeah. So there we That's go. That's fair. I'm not going to sing it because because I'm not on coffee. Boo. Boo, Stacey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We'll get started with this week's show. We're actually going to do a, a mailbag episode after we get done with one quick story, mm. um, because we've had so many awesome emails from you guys, our listeners, um, and I'm going to say it's mostly guys. I, I don't mm. actually think we've gotten any from any ladies, so I know you're out there. You There have got to be some women listening to the show, not that... Not that it's a bad thing that most of our audience seems to be men or most of our, our emailers seem to be men. I know I got one awesome email from somebody who listens with his eight-month-old who hmm. apparently finds my voice soothing. So hang in That's there. That's good. Yeah, subscribe to the show to put your kids to sleep. I like that. I, <laughs> when, our, when our daughter was a baby, and there was this one song on the radio that always made her like, she would stop like mid-cry. It was awesome. It wasn't Billy Joel's Allentown. It, it was not Allentown. Okay, just check um, so again, not singing it, uh, but so if if my voice does that for anyone's kid, man, yeah. I am so glad to be that person for you because I loved that song. Pay it forward. There we go. Okay, so first up, before we get to your questions, we have to talk about this oh. awesome. It was great. This Gizmodo review of the Wink Hub. Um, I don't. I don't think we can. I mean, we're not. We don't have FCC violations, but in honor of this eight-month-old, because I just can't, I can't poison the small children's mind. Um, this this article is called "Why Is My Smart Home So Effing Dumb?" Yeah, um, and it it was a great article. It was. Um, it was all about partly because it had animated gifs, because that just makes everything that helps. awesome. That helps, um, yeah. It was a wink review that I mean, man, it was like two thousand words. I don't know. It was really long. But he, the, the writer talked about installing a Wink Hub, which, as you guys might remember, I, I've installed a Wink Hub not once but twice just to check it out. Um, and both times I have experienced levels of frustration that really went beyond like my daughter crying for hours on end when she was a baby. It was just terrible because it's buggy. It doesn't it's buggy. It just doesn't work. And I couldn't believe that Wink was selling this to the masses and for 99 cents, no less. So people would actually pick it up and try it out. And people would be like, God, this is, this is home automation. Huh. And, and to be honest, I think the last time we talked about what I might do in my house, we'd said, you know what, let's go for the Wink. And you said, get the 99 cent deal. Da, 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 da. And I haven't gotten around to it yet. And now I'm kind of glad. Yeah, I really am. Because Gizmodo seems to, and I don't know if these were review units or actually uh, purchased, but there was a lot of money involved here in between the hub, the controller, the light bulbs, 
um, they had shades, all kinds of sensors. Uh, they had, yeah, they had they had the Wink the, Hub, the, the full Monty. <laughs> yeah, because they even had the three hundred dollar Wink Relay touchscreen, the thing that you install in your in light wall. switch. Yeah, right. So not only was there a lot of money. Oh, and they had the light switch, the Serena. Uh, sorry, not the light switch, the Serena blind controllers. So the yes. automated window shades, and those can be like thousand dollars per shade Easy. yeah yeah and they had the air conditioner as well with the, the ge oh, air conditioner that's three hundred dollars yeah so i mean we're talking about a big chunk of change a big a big investment to make this the this apartment smart and and so not just an investment in money which mm. you know sometimes giga ohm pays for things for me but mm-hmm. when you install this stuff let me tell you this is a big investment in time when you're mm-hmm. talking about ripping out your switch plates in your walls and installing a new light switch when you're talking about installing new window shades mm-hmm. and god help you if it doesn't work and you have to uninstall it this is this is like an investment of like probably 20 hours of work at least mm-hmm. so yeah so after all the investment of time and money, really, I, I mean, I can't think of anything I read in that article that actually worked the way it was supposed to for this individual. Um, eventually, the, I mean, the lights were working at times, but... <sighs> they worked. So sometimes they worked. I think he got about a 50%. Yeah. It, it worked about half the time for him, which mm-hmm. is about what I found when I installed the the Wink. Um, and, but... And this is this is another thing that drove me nuts about the wink is when the lights turned on, they didn't turn on all at once. They would turn on in like this a like chain. a chain. Thank you. Yeah, like so a it was relay. like dum, 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 dum. which right. if it did it in like a planned relay, like as you were walking under them, like you were like some sort yeah. of awesome like dark lord and the lights would like come <laughs> on as you were walking in. Okay, that would you just be amazing. scared all the children that you were trying to soothe, but go ahead. <laughs> I'm just thinking, you know, as you're walking in, dum, 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 oh, yeah, that would absolutely. be amazing. But the, the, the other thing that bothers me here, and, and I'll be honest, when I had my Instagram system in place, it worked more than this particular Wink system was working, or at least reported working for this reviewer. What bothered me about the Insteon and still bothers me about reading about the Wink, even when it works, there's always that latency and that lag of tap a button and then the light goes on, you know? So that is, so that is the cloud. That is what ha- So lights are something that fundamentally cannot be done in the cloud. And this reviewer didn't really get into that too much mm-hmm. but with the wink hub everything goes there are, there's no intelligence in the hub the hub is just a relay to the cloud yep so when you tell the light to go on it goes to the hub the hub says i will tell the cloud the cloud says light the hub <laughs> turn on and then the it tells the hub to tell the light to turn on so yeah. it it does take a second um mm-hmm. sometimes when the system is like I don't know, warmed up. I, I, I really don't know what needs to happen for it to happen faster. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's fast. Sometimes it takes a minute. You never really know. Now, Wink is coming out. Now, uh, Brett Kaufman, who's the, the VP over at Wink, has told me that their next generation hub is not going to work that way, especially for lights. Okay. And because of that, the lighting will be faster. You will have actually more control over the hue. Because right now, if you hook your hue lights up to the wink, you actually can't do a lot of the cool grouping features that 
that's always been a big complaint of mine because I have all these hue lights and I'm like, mm-hmm. my wing system and my hue system, they, they feel like they work together, but you can only like turn your hue lights on and off. You can't group them. You can't control right. them remotely. It's stupid. Um, but all of that stuff will come into the wink system. All of that kind of governance of the hues will come in. So basically the point of this Gizmodo article is even for 99 cents, you shouldn't bother with a wink because if you install all this stuff, you spend any money, any time, and it's mostly the time in my opinion, mm-hmm. you're going to just like want to rip your hair out. You're just going to be mad. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to continue holding off, number one. And number two, anything that's cloud-based, I'm going to be skept- not skeptical. I'm going to be cautious. That's why I liked what I had because it wasn't cloud-based. It was There was a little bit of latency, but not nearly as much as what's being described here. Yeah. And so really go read this article because it is a case study in Mm -hmm. how to really piss off the consumer. (laughs) It's a very entertaining article and informative. It's good. It's It's, it's a great article. And again, you can see it. I'm going to start actually, I'm going to have to do animated GIFs whenever Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm doing like complaints about, or even like how things work. I know that I've done some vines in mine and I'm like, oh no, GIFs are better. Always with the GIFs. So that, that is that. Um, and I guess now we should, should we should open up the mailbag? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do oh, that. we should remind people though, why they're doing this it, it, in case, you, Oh yeah. in case you don't just want to like tap into our expertise, which is free, <laughs> which that advice and put, may, your kids, and put your kids to sleep. There you go. It might be worth what you pay for it. Um, you, what we're doing is we're running a contest all through the month of February and the, the people who enter this contest to enter, or actually I should say what you win, you will win a MyQ connected garage door opener. So this is the Chamberlain MyQ. It is, it integrates with the Nest. So it works with Nest um, and it works with the Wink system. Um, and it actually does work with the Wink system. And let's see, it is. it will work with HomeKit. And what it does is it basically lets you control your garage door. It, it also works on its own through an app. And basically I have mine set up that I can see if my garage door is open and closed if I open the app. If I want to, I have it set up so if my garage door is open for more than 15 minutes, it sends me a push notification. And other than that, I can basically ignore it. And I really love it. So if you're the type of person who worries if their garage door is open all the time, you can, um, pop this guy in about 15 minutes on your garage and you will never have that worry again because you will always be able to tell. So to win one of these, all you have to do is send us a question to iotpodcast.com. No, no, no. that is not no. what you send it do to. Do not do that. <laughs> do not do that. That does not exist. Or maybe it will exist after someone hears me say that. I can um, guarantee you will not win if you send your question there. <laughs> don't send your question there. Good <laughs> Lord. Maybe I do need the coffee. Um, you should send it to... Actually, Kevin, do this. You can it's, do it, Kevin. What is it? IOT podcast at gigaom.com. Yes. See. Oh, man. That lack of coffee is killing me. Whew. Okay. So now we're going to turn to the mailbag where I only have to read questions. So I'm pretty sure I can do this. Um, we had one We had one guy who sent us five questions. We're not going to answer all five. Um, and, <laughs> and sending in five questions does not get you five entries. Oh, I should tell you. We're going to take all of, all of the names of people who um, send in their questions. 
we're going to write your names down, we're going to stick it in a crock pot that may or may not be connected, and my daughter is actually going to draw out the names, and then we're going to notify the winner, Super. Um, and I'll send it to you. Okay, so what I really liked um, was two of these questions. One was, what is the impact of junky devices on the emerging home automation market? Things that don't really work, for example. Ugh. We just Ooh. answered that. Yeah, we sort of did. And, and to be honest, I mean, this has been a problem for the last couple of years. There's been a plethora of products out there, and most of them have not lived up to the, the hype and the potential. So, I mean, the, the most obvious answer is it holds back the whole industry, in my opinion. It holds back adoption. It frustrates consumers who then will be very cautious. I mean, I, I just said this earlier on the show. I'm going to now be more cautious because of hearing about products that aren't working. Um, so that's, to me, that's the biggest, the biggest uh, impact right there. I, exactly. And it, the other thing it does is it, it, makes, it, it, it puts the industry at risk of overregulation, knee-jerk regulation, because what's going to mm. happen is along with not just junky products, we get things like bad data collection and bad actors. And what you get is things like Samsung, for example, two weekends ago with their TV and talking about sharing data. Just last week, there was a Senate hearing on uh, data collection practices. And we had this this senator who was comparing, he actually compared it to the wrong Orwell book. He compared it to Animal Farm, not to Whoops. 1984. But, Whoops. you know, fair enough. The idea still seems, is the same. Mm -hmm. But you get these people who are having these knee-jerk, paranoid reactions to the industry not explaining itself well, to, you know, people freaking out about this technology, and then they're going to make rules and laws Mm -hmm. and have just a total overreaction to technology that could actually be really helpful to people. And that's that's going to be bad for everyone. So I, I really highly encourage people to make products that work, that do exactly what they say they do. Um, I know it's really fun to do these Kickstarters and promise things that are going to be awesome. but And, that, and that's actually fine for Kickstarters because these people are doing beta stuff. But when you get mm -hmm. your product into the store, it yeah. needs to actually do what it says it does. Don't promise these features and, you know, iterate later. There's only mm -hmm. so many iterations you can make with a consumer product. When you're installing a lock in your home, this is something that's going to be in there for like 10 years and it's also something that's going to be pissing off like possibly five people mm -hmm. not just the person who bought it right and so you can't it's very different from a piece of software this isn't something that you know you can just delete if it irritates you so think about it from that perspective and then it has much wider repercussions because they're usually way more expensive and there's like legal like repercussions about the data that you're going to be gathering and working with. Mm -hmm. so, th so that's like my spiel about junky products and data privacy, which was another question this guy asked. Um, and then he also asked, um, what will the smart home look like in one year, three years, and five years? And I I'm going to say in one year, it's probably going to look a lot like this. We're probably going to have fewer fewer players i think this year is going to be one where we get a lot of acquisitions hmm. um of the smaller players in three years you want to take three years kevin well i'll add to your one and, okay. and move into the three the, the bigger the biggest impact this year will be apple's home kit 
products and such. So it may change the landscape a little bit quicker than three years out. Could be th later this year. It becomes a mass market audience, and I say that with some caution because you know uh, HomeKit is brand new. It's going to take time, but I think if anybody's going to come into this market and do it right, do exactly what you just said, Stacey, make your products that work right out of the box. Apple has a knack for doing that. It doesn't enter a market until it can do that. So I think we'll see, this This could be a very big year for us, uh, for this industry as a result. Um, three, maybe five years out, I definitely see more, and I know we have a question on this, so I'll, I'll, I'll tie this in right now. Uh, presence, actual presence in the smart home. I think you'll see that with beacons and better technologies and chips and phones and such. Um, so that way your home does become smart. It knows where you are, not just that you are home or that you're not home, for example. It knows which room you're in to heat, to light, to open, close shades and such. So I see that as a three, maybe five year piece out. Okay. See, I think three years is our mass market. Mm -hmm. I actually think in uh, two to three years, I think Apple is actually going to release a home automation product that does for home automation or the smart home, what the iPhone did for kind of mobility. Mm -hmm. um, I have no idea what that is. I'm not, you know, a genius. I'm not like Gene Munster. I, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend it's the Apple TV. Um, but I do think, because I'm actually hearing from some of the partners in HomeKit that the security stuff that Apple is doing is really stellar and really hard. Mm. Um, so I think what's going to happen is we're going to see this year that coming out and people kind of not being able to take full advantage of it yet mm -hmm. because it's going to be really challenging and tough. And so I see this this being kind of like the home kits out and people are like, ah, we're kind of doing the fun stuff and getting, I, I think it'll be kind of like where we are now. Mm -hmm. And I think in two or three years, we're actually going to see it all kind of come together in a really flagship product kind of way um, that'll really push it to the mainstream. Five years, God, I don't even know. Because that's that's going to be like, woo. Um, that's my noise. Um, <laughs> so do you want to answer one of your questions or you want to go straight to the presence? Uh, I can answer a quick question. Go for it. What do we have here? Um, how about the one from uh, about the person who uses Insteon? Let's see. Over the last year or so, I've slowly been building out and installing Insteon devices. I've added a universal devices ISY99 for I as my controller. Let me just pause for a second and just say I have the exact same thing or had. It's in a box still. Uh, universal devices, that controller is a headless controller, no monitor or anything like that. You remotely access it. It controls up to 1,024 devices in the home. Um, you can open it up for outside access, which is interesting, you know, beyond your own personal network, so you can remotely access it. There's a lot you can do, a very flexible product, but it's nothing more than a, than a hub a controller. Um, so let me go back to the email here, which offers a tremendous amount of flexibility. Yes, I would agree with that. I'd like to leverage, better leverage my devices and controller, so please tell us some of the scenes and programs you set up or had set up in your home, what have you automated, what's worked well for you. So it's kind of a tricky question for me because I haven't done anything with it in well, almost a year. And that's because I yanked the system out, we were moving and so on. Um, what did I have? Um, I liked how the ISY994i had a built-in uh, application where it knows based on your location what the uh, temperature is, what the um, 
the sunrise and sunset are. So I did have the system smartly turn on my lights 15 minutes before sunset, and I had it shut them off 15 minutes before sunrise. Uh, I didn't have to, you know, mess around with it. It just it just worked. It was a wonderful thing. Um, what else? I did have the temperature sensor hooked up so that way I could get outside temps to the thermostat I had before my nest. I had an instinct on thermostat prior to that. As far as scenes and such, I did just basic lighting scenes, you know, for like the home theater. Let's I'm watching a movie, blah, blah, blah. Nothing fancy there. Um, the one thing I wanted to automate and did not get to do, I never installed my garage door sensor, which I could have had uh, with some remote access and automation to basically open up when, say, the UPS truck would come, which he often does, actually. Um, I don't want to have to run downstairs and press a button and all that. So unfortunately, I didn't get around to that. Um, still have it, though, so maybe maybe I'll add it because we're probably going to be in this house for another couple of years. So uh, there's tons you can do with Insteon. It's come a long way. So, and they just opened up their API, so you could start playing with all kinds of things. Yeah, I think they support Nest now too. Mm-hmm. They are works with Nest I believe, Partner. I believe you are correct. So there you go, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Get it out of the box. I know. I'll be honest with you. My my. I know I'm going to be moving, although it probably won't be for three years now. I don't know how much time I want to invest in putting infrastructure in my house. Oh, see, see, we're back now at the time thing because I know. it, it, like, what, what's the time estimate on putting that together? Really, do it, you think? You know, since I've already done it once, there's, you know, there's a learning curve involved, and I, and I can probably get through it faster than I did prior. The, the ISY 994i is actually pretty simple to set up. I mean, you just need to get it connected, either wired or wirelessly, to your router, and then just do your, uh, put in your switches and your your um, outlets and uh, pair them because that's how that works you have to there's a button on all of these and there's also a, a six character code you can rem- you can you don't have to hit the buttons you can use the codes and whatnot uh, it's not going to take me that long i suppose and it's easily removable so <sighs> no I'm, I'm i'm literally just curious is it like a five-hour project is it like a no i w- i would say to get the basics up and running i would say one to two hours Okay. You know, some basic lights and, and such. I don't have any locks right now. Um, no, it wouldn't be too bad. The, 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 just the basics would not be too bad. Okay. No, I, I mean, I have the same issue. Like, is, there, is, there is definitely a lot of inertia, like, knowing mm. that I'm going to have to rip out my, my current infrastructure just to try the next hub that comes along. Right. I'm like, oh, I'll set it up. <laughs> yeah. See, the garage door sensor has magnetic contacts. I've got to drill and attach those to the wall and to the door. I've got to hardwire that to the garage door opener and then connect an Insteon bit that gives it the, the wireless connectivity. That's a little more involved. Oh, double-sided tape. That is like double-sided ev- tape. That is every smart home person's best friend. There you go. All right. All right. So let's do just one more question because we are almost out of time. Sure. Um, so let's go with presents because we've been talking about it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, I guess, I, I don't know if we should say names. So we'll, we'll just keep not with the names. Okay. In, in your experience, what is the best, fastest, most consistent, most programmable, most versatile presence module device? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the like- bestest. It's magic. Um, a lot of companies are trying to do triggers off of presents, but I don't really hear about them working too well. He's right. 
Um, yep, there's a reason for that. There is. So I think this is a this will be a big year for presents. I I really do. I I am looking forward to getting my my Zuli, for example, my Zuli presence detecting uh, outlets. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, this is the first anniversary coming up of the CSR mesh presence detection, which is a special Bluetooth presence mesh. And those products are actually just coming out. So I'm actually getting a couple of those coming in soon. So we'll, we'll be talking about them on the show and testing them. Mm-hmm. But right now, I think the best presence detection is still your phone. Yep. I was just going to say the same. And it's not, the be- it's not a good one even. No, it's not. Um, actually, as someone who, who's been testing, you know, actually, we talked about on the show, the You Know Me software, and I've been testing some other software in presence detection, actually using if this then that on my phone. My phone is, there are some things that make the phone bad at presence detection in geofencing. And it's things like, you know, if it comes off the network, um, sometimes your phone just like drops off the network for a little bit. And when it comes back on, if it's not using, it's basically like two factor presence detection. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes back on the network, it, it thinks even though it hasn't moved anywhere, it suddenly is like, oh, look, I've just returned home. Um, and that makes it really bad for some of this stuff. There's yeah. there's ways to mitigate that, but they're kind of cumbersome and painful. And, and I fiddled around with a beacon. Uh, I have a, a piece of beacon hardware here that it's more of a proof of concept, though. I mean, the, the app just kind of looks for the beacon, the app on my phone that is, and the, and the beacon, it can tell me how far away I am from the beacon and such, but you need multiple beacons. You need an app that actually can take advantage and do something with that information. And there are very few of those on the consumer level, save for say ads and such like that, you know, that sort of thing. I, I honestly would like to see presence moved away from the phone at, for this purpose anyway. I mean, obviously we need GPS and presence for phones, but uh, you know, to me, this is where a wearable device actually could gain some value to people as opposed to just telling time and being a second screen for your smartphone, right? If, because it's on you, that's what you want. That's that, that, you know, as, as opposed to the phone. Like I, we've talked about this before. I always have my phone in my pocket or in my hand. Stacey, you'll put your phone down, you'll walk away. So it's, nothing can detect your presence at that point. It can only detect the presence of your phone, which isn't where you are. Right. So. I'm waiting for my Pebble or my Ringley or all of the above, actually. Or your Apple Watch or Although, Android Wear. Or, yes, any of the... Well, I'm just saying what I'm wearing. <laughs> it's, it's what I'm wearing now. Although, then, then we get into the question of, like, how do I activate what I'm wearing? Because I do. I, I change my wearables because I have a couple mm-hmm. of them. So how do I activate it for the day? Like, this is what you're going to follow me based on. Right. Um. Jawbone is actually working on, so I'll be curious if the Jawbone up, I actually ordered one, the up 24 Mm -hmm. to see how that's going to work out. So we'll get back to you on that because so far the answer is nothing. There isn't Um, one. But maybe by the end of this year, so that maybe that'll happen this year, um, Mm -hmm. we'll be able to tell you this is the best presents ever. Um, And in the meantime, the best present ever is going to be a diamond. No, sorry. I'm, I'm terrible. That's okay. Kevin Kevin can tell you his best present ever. I'm not sure what that would be. That's hard to say. But he's thinking about it. He's like I Beatles think, memorabilia. Yeah, that's true. I, and I have a new John Lennon photo original coming right now. So, yeah. 
Probably one of those. We'll hear more about that, I'm sure. (laughs) All right. In the meantime, stay tuned because I have Dan Reed, who is a managing director at American Family Insurance's Venture Fund. And we're going to talk about how the smart home changes the insurance business, which is actually pretty cool. And since he also has $50 million in uh, venture money to give away to startups, early stage startups, you should stay tuned for both the ramifications for consumers and insurance and also understanding how to get your hands on some of that cool, hard venture cash. All right, so stay tuned, and we'll catch you next week with Kevin and I. Hey, everybody, this is Stacy, and you are listening to the GigaOM Internet of Things podcast. We are back with Dan Reed, our guest for today. He is the managing director at American Family Ventures. Hey, Dan, thanks for joining us. Hey, Stacy, thanks for having me. I am really excited. So, Dan, you are a $50 million early stage venture fund that is uh, part of American Family Insurance. Yes? That's right. So AmFam, as it's known, is a pretty big insurance company. It has $7 billion in premiums. It's got over $10 million policies out there in home, auto, and, I don't know, commercial? Home, auto, commercial. and... Yep, home, auto, commercial, and life insurance. Life insurance. I was like, I was going to just pull out boats. I was like, boats. I like boats. Uh, (laughs) I think we do boats as well. There you go. Just why not? Um, So why don't you start by telling our audience um, a little bit about the kind of companies that you fund because you're on the show because you fund a very specific kind of type of company. Sure. Yeah. So we are, uh, as you said, we're we're the corporate venture capital arm of American Family Insurance. And we invest in early stage companies that we think have some relevance to the development of the insurance industry. So we invest in uh, seed stage through series B companies in three thematic areas. The, the first is, I think, the most obvious one, which is if a startup's working on uh, innovations directly within the insurance industry, that's something that we'd like to know about. Uh, the second is what we call data and analytics. So this is uh, you know, in the in- increasing world of, of big data, uh, what is it that we need to to bring on board uh, for our pricing and our underwriting and, and working with our policyholders from a data perspective. And then the last, which I, I suspect is why I'm here, is we have an Internet of Things focus. And that includes home automation and connected vehicles and even wearable technologies. These are things that we think of as digital signals of physical risk. Got it. Well, we actually do have a, a data show that's actually coming up in March in New York. So. I, I could talk to you about data analytics and, and we could have a fun time, but I think my audience would be really miffed at me. Um, they would be like, Stacy, this is not why we are listening to you. Um, so some of the companies that you guys have actually funded in this space are uh, Revolve, which actually got purchased by Nest. It did, yep. So congratulations there. Oh, thanks. Um, Snoopy Technologies, which makes the Wally Home sensors. Um, let's see, you guys have funded... Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess it up. It's a, it's one of the OBD port companies. Uh, Carvoyance. Carvoyance. I, I was it's like, a, I'm not gonna guess. Oh, sorry, this is the development platform for uh, connected vehicles. Right. Um, and let's see, what other what other companies do you have? Oh, Quiet Time. I just read yep. about them. The, the you did. Companies. Thanks for thanks for writing about them. So, any any others we should mention? Yeah, we we are invested in a company called Keen Home out of New York City. They make um, a, a smart vent cover, and they're actually going to be on Shark Tank next week on the 20th. 
Oh, very cool. Yes, they, they actually compete with EcoVent. And I've, I've written about both of those companies. Yeah. They're the Wi-Fi, they're Wi-Fi connected vents that uh, basically you, you can easily replace it, your existing uh, air vents in your home. And since they're connected, then you can set up these magically awesome AC vents that you know can close off areas of your home based on temperature sensors in there. And then you're hopefully not cooling parts of your home that you're not in. Yeah, that's right. It's a smart company. As I mentioned, they're, they're, they had a good time on Shark Tank doing the taping, and they're going to be on the program um, next week. So we're excited to see that. I, I think the last company that, that would be within the IoT space would be Life360. And Life360 makes a, a free application for families to track where everyone is, and there are works with Nest Partner as well. There and they're they're actually a pretty cool company. Um, they they integrate with if this and that, and I've been I've been toying with them, um, thinking about how I can build. I, if you're a Harry Potter fan, um, the Weasleys have a clock. Weasleys are a family. Okay, I'm just going all in with the nerdy <laughs> references, y'all. You just got to work with me here. The Weasleys have this magic clock that shows where everyone in the family is at any one time, and I'm pretty sure that if you use Life 360. Plus, an if this then that integration, and maybe like little bits, you could build your own version of the Weasley's clock that shows you where everyone in your house or everyone in your family is at any one time. That's pretty much what it does. Yeah, I, I don't know so much about the Weasleys, but uh, but that's how it works, and and I love it. I have three daughters, and um, and I, I track them as they go all over town, and they take the bus downtown to see me. And, it, it eliminates those conversations, of, you know, the text messages about where are you, when are you going to be down here, and and all that sort of thing. And it, you know, you keep it within the family too, so it, I think it mitigates any privacy concerns around geo tracking. There you go. And I can't believe you're not going to out yourself as a Harry Potter fan, Dan. Oh. <laughs> okay, fine, fine, fine. It's okay. All right. So, from from a seriousness perspective, I, I figure we should start with kind of the the meatiness of. Of the issue here because the insurance industry it it's really a prime opportunity I, I think there's a real prime opportunity for the smart home here that we really don't talk about very much at all we spend a lot of time talking about kind of healthcare. we spend a lot of time talking with people about you know just basic things in the home and how to set stuff up but where where do you see the insurance business i mean where, how are they looking at this? Are they looking at this as risk mitigation? Are they looking at it as something like if you're a consumer and you want to put this stuff in your home and like somehow certify it, then they might get a discount, kind of like I get a discount if I take a driver's safety class? What, what, what is kind of, how do they see this and what are the models they're looking at for kind of taking advantage of some of this stuff? Sure. Well, I can talk about um, how, you know, how the insurance industry in general thinks about IoT, particularly within the home and, and within the car. And then I can talk about our perspective as a venture capital group within, within the, an insurance context as well. But I would say starting with the, the insurance industry perspective, it, it's essentially an extension of, of smoke detectors and seatbelts. The, these are inexpensive products that can help keep people safe. And from our strategic point of view as, as a participant in the insurance industry, it offers the opportunity for a new type of engagement with our policyholders. It's, it's, a, it's a way that we can partner with them and deploy devices, maybe on a subsidized basis, that can really reduce the risks of bad things happening to them. So traditionally, the insurance business is a reactive one where something 
something you know tragic happens within the home or within a car, and your insurance industry is there to reimburse you for the damage that's happened. But this changes the model to a more proactive model where uh, we can help prevent things um, from happening in the first place. And not only do we have an economic incentive to do so, we have, I think, a moral incentive to do so. And then switching a little bit to our, our venture thesis in the space, certainly we, we have financial objectives. This is, um, you know, as you know, and as I think you've reported, this is an exploding space. Uh, the Internet of Things, and we'll see growth and, and strong valuations over the next decade. <clears throat> but what's interesting for us as, a, as an investor is that because we're part of an insurance company, we can help the startups in, in I think, novel ways. We can uh, help them find a new channel uh, to deploy their solutions. We can maybe even make it a subsidized channel that helps them move up the adoption curve and then we can partner with them to understand what the relevance of some of the, what we call digital exhaust, some of the, the information that these devices create, what the relevance is to the insurance industry and, and to millions of people around the country and around the world. All right. Well, let's, well, let's talk about the insurance kind of channel. How do you see insurance companies, like, let's, let's take subsidized kind of purchase of devices. Sure. Let's talk about kind of what devices do insurance companies see as having, what's the low hanging fruit for an insurance company on the home side and let's say on the auto side in terms okay. of like sensors or devices? Sure, let's start on the home side. So I, I can use the numbers from American Family. Uh, at American Family Insurance, we, we pay several types of, of homeowners claims. The main claim is, is weather related. And I think that represents about half of our homeowners' claims, and that's hail damage or tornado damage. These are these are extreme weather events, and I'm not sure that we found a solution for within the IoT for um, for these weather events, other than maybe a, a connected dome or something like that. But um, the other half is potentially mitigatable by by IoT. So the the other half is fire claims and water damage and uh, burglary or theft. Those are the three main. I guess secondary, but still pretty important categories for us. And in our case, we'll pay hundreds of millions of dollars in claims every year on on fire, water, and and theft. I think all of which are we're seeing an ecosystem develop of devices that can help reduce the risk of of all of these events from happening. Okay, so let's let's take water because I, I feel like fire is fire and theft are a bit dodgier or they're fast acting and they're also, I, I don't feel like there's a lot of intervention that people might feel good about doing casually, but water feels pretty safe. Like leaks, okay. I feel good about intervening on, right? Um, so if I've got water sensors, how, how do you imagine an intervention or not an intervention? I'm sorry. How do you imagine a sensor network being deployed or is this something I would do as a homeowner? Or do you think you might? I might get a flyer if I'm an an AmFam policy holder. You guys might send me a thing saying, "Hey, we just partnered with uh, Water Company X, and if you buy this system, um, you might get a ten percent discount each month." Or like, what's the model going to look like? Or sure. do you know? Well, I think it's it's evolving, uh, and we and I think some of our competitors are running some tests now on on what the efficacy is on some of the water sensors that are out there. But let me use Snoopy as an example from our portfolio. 
Snoopy makes the, the Wally sensors, and, and what's unique about these sensors, there are a number of water sensors, um, you know, connected water sensors that you can buy on the market, but what, what makes Snoopy and Wally unique is the extended battery life on these devices. Because of the communication protocol that's, I think, unique to Snoopy, um, it, it only needs to send a signal wirelessly to the nearest power line within your home. And then it uses that power line as, a, as an antenna back to a central hub. So instead of having a, a Wi-Fi, um, uh, you know, Wi-Fi uh, communication for these water sensors and the battery dying after five or six months, these Snoopy devices, you can put them underneath your water heater, underneath your dishwasher, behind your toilet, uh, wherever you think there's, you might have water damage, and they'll last for 20 years. I mean, the, the batteries will corrode before they, before they lose power. So for us, we think about that device, and if we can find the right incentive for our policyholders to, to buy these, um, we can, I think over time, we can quantify what's the appropriate subsidy for, for our policyholders to put these in their home. And the, re the way we would calculate that is, is what's the difference in water claims for, for rusted water heaters or dishwashers that go down um, in terms of frequency and severity, which are the two uh, ways that we think about damage. So, so does this reduce the frequency of these events? I, you know, I think it probably could. If you start seeing a little bit of a leak in your water heater, that you would know about it before it becomes a flood in your basement. Uh, and then this, and it would also reduce the severity as well, so you can catch these things in, in a couple minutes instead of a couple days. Okay. So that's, that's the water thesis for us. And I think what, what needs to be determined, and, and I know we're doing work on this, is how do you quantify those benefits? That's tough. Because like the Wally sensors, like I think the hub plus six, I think it's six sensors or maybe it's five sensors in the hub is about $300. Um, which if, if you think about it in terms of like preventing a water claim, because those can be quite expensive, sure. is nothing. But most people don't think about, you know, preventing a water claim until after they've had the water claim and they're like, Holy mother of God, I can't believe I just, you know, shelled out that much money. Um, so it's, it's kind of a hard, it's a hard thing. Um, I think that's where we come in because you're right. If the equation on the, on the homeowner's point of view is I can spend $300 to mitigate the risk of a $1,000 deductible uh, plus whatever annoyance is involved with cleaning up the mess and, and losing things in your basement that you don't want to lose, that may be tricky to justify that expense. But for us, the average water claim is $12,000. And so it, 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 make, it may make sense for us to meaningfully subsidize deployment of those if, if policyholders are willing to, to engage with it and, and install it in their house. Plus it works with Nest. Um, sure. <laughs> and okay. And that, okay. So in that model, now that does though get into some kind of interesting things for an insurance company, especially I think on the auto side. So let's kind of switch over there, although it may, it may make sense in the home. I don't know. Um, sure. So Actually, I'd, I'd like to talk a bit before we move out of the home. You, oh, sure. You, you didn't want to talk about fire and, and theft, but I, I think there are some interesting um, use cases in, in both of those as well as it pertains to insurance. So starting with theft, if you don't mind. Go for uh, it. Your listeners don't mind, I think, <laughs> importantly as well. So what we see in, um, there's historically there's been, uh, most insurance companies offer a, a homeowner's insurance discount for having a wired and installed security system uh, within your 
within your home, it tends to be five to ten percent of your homeowner's premium, which is fifty to a hundred dollars a year, which is you know meaningful money over the course of of a decade that you may live in your house. But some of these new uh, low-cost do-it-yourself security systems offer the opportunity for people who maybe couldn't afford a $1,000 or $1,200 commitment for an installed and monitored security system to get involved with home security. What we, what we see, um, which I think is really interesting, is that the rate of, um, the, the rate of a home, the percentage of homes that have uh, an installed security system goes up significantly with the price of the home. So you know, more expensive homes are much more likely to have these installed systems. But the rate of break-in and theft uh, goes down considerably. So you have this, if you were to plot these two lines, you end up with an X, essentially, where the people at the, with, with uh, you know, lower-value homes or, or lower-income families, they can't afford these, these more expensive systems. And the, the IoT and the, the, much, the much less expensive do-it-yourself systems allows people who can really benefit from home security to, to start to take part in it. And again, that's something that's meaningful to us because we're, we're covering those families and we would love to participate in, in offering that, that kind of proactive protection. Okay, that makes sense. And, and also, I mean, I don't know if you do renter's insurance, but a lot of these cover, like some of these products are really designed for renters who weren't even kind of able to access the security market before. Very much, yeah. Okay, so that covers kind of theft. Do you want to come back or talk to talk about fire? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, so fire is, is, I mean, the smoke alarm was 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 developed in the '60s, and um, if you think about, well, certainly if I think about my house, I have seven or eight smoke detectors, and I think I've disabled three or four of them just because it was chirping at me, and and I took the battery out just because it was three in the morning and I didn't want to deal with it, and I never got around to putting them back up. So fire is one of those things that, from a from an insurance point of view, is a is a really big deal, and certainly from a homeowner's and, and life point of view, it's it, it's potentially catastrophic. I mean, we see three thousand fire deaths in the U.S. every year, and, and twenty thousand injuries, and most of those are in homes that have uh, that have no working smoke alarm. So what what we can do is um, you know, provide some incentives to. Uh, work with the next generation of smoke, smoke, smoke detectors and fire prevention, and and again, I think hopefully offer some solutions that make sense for our policyholders, for 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 families uh, out there in 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 the world. Well, this is going to be the feel good podcast of the year here. Um, all right. So now, now that now that we've covered that, let's move back to the car and talk about kind of safety and privacy for kind of the car, because I I did want to kind of get into this and also incentives for getting kind of data from the car, because I think this is where a lot of people's minds go. I think having incentives for kind of putting water sensors in your house or, you know, better smoke detectors, people are actually really comfortable with that. They also feel like, right now that data isn't going to the insurance company. It's just, you know, hanging out there um, in their home and you guys feel good that people are monitoring them or people are monitoring their own homes. But when it comes to like putting devices in the OBD port, 
there's, you know, there's progressive progressives plan to kind of look at that data and possibly, you know, lower your rates if you're doing that. So kind of where do you see kind of the insurance industry going when it comes to car data? And then maybe, maybe they're actually looking at looking at the data from our home on a real-time basis. I don't know. Sure. Um, well, when, when we talk about auto, uh, the, the nexus between automobile insurance and, and the IoT, it makes me think of a program that I was really proud of, of being part of with a small team back in 2007 or 2008. It was, um, it was a program that American Family rolled out and, and still has called Teen Safe Driver where we put a, a drive cam, which is essentially a, a piece of equipment that has a camera looking into the car and a camera looking out and um, had the accelerometer in, in, the, uh, in the device and would record video only when, in, in the car, only when the G-forces in the, in the car exceeded a certain extreme threshold, as we called it. And we thought uh, this, this was a technology that was being used in commercial fleets for, for truck drivers and taxis, and you'll still see them in taxis. I, I was in Las Vegas for CES and saw a drive cam and, and the taxi that was driving me around. But what we thought was uh, teenage drivers have such a high crash rate, they actually get in accidents at nine times the rate of their parents, that it would make sense for us to fully subsidize deployment, and it, it costs hundreds of dollars of these devices into our policyholder families who wanted them, who wanted to use it to help their teens learn how to drive better. It was The idea was they would see all of the near misses that, that you get into that, that really help you become a better driver, and, and you get to review what happened in the car, whether your teenager's texting, whether they're wearing their seatbelts, whether they're you know, whether they're making good decisions or bad decisions behind the wheel, and, and they let parents be parents. And I think to your question about how do you think about privacy and, uh, and, and how does this factor into maybe pricing or what information is being gathered, I think this is a good example of, of how at least we at American Family think about privacy in this context. The, the videos that were generated from this program, they never, we never saw the videos at all. They, never, they weren't routed to us. They were routed to third-party analysts, and the, the analysts would score in terms of you know, riskiness of the video, and they would provide some coaching. And then they would go right to the parents and the teens through a, through a portal that they could view at home. So we offered an incentive uh, to participate in this program uh, of subsidizing the entire program. Plus, in, in a few states, we gave the family a 10% discount on their, on their auto insurance because what we saw is the behavior changes from being able to see what happens in the car when you're just learning how to drive were so significant that it entirely paid for itself. And so for us, that, that changed uh, our view of, of, again, moving from a reactive model to a more proactive and partnership model where we can work together with some of these technologies to help reduce the, the risk that happens within our, within our policyholder families. Okay. So, in, and that's, that's actually a really good example of using kind of connected devices to, to, to actually kind of keep it within the family as it were. Um, sure. But is that enough? Is that, I mean, that in this case, reduced kind of accidents, reduced your payouts, that's got an economic sense. But 
what I hear from people and where kind of the opportunity seems to be today is in collecting as much data as possible. And so the flip side to kind of a program like that, which sounds totally reasonable, and as a parent of a child who is not driving um, for another eight more years, possibly longer, uh, I'm like, oh, I would totally do that in a minute. And I love it. But it also seems a, someone, you know, a critic would say, you're leaving money on the table by not collecting all that data and, and being able to analyze it and, and you could add new products to it and who knows what you could do. Um, so how would you answer that or think about kind of that side of it? Well, I, I think it was really important. It, it was one of the first examples of, of this type of engagement with policyholders. And we were, and I think we still are, very conscious of this notion of, of big brother or, or, or privacy uh, within your own home or within your own vehicle, it, it, I think it's something that the insurance industry and, and startups in this space have to be very cognizant of and, and very careful about, is making sure that you're very transparent about how you're going to use the information that comes off of these devices and, uh, and right from the start take a, take a benevolent position toward toward that partnership that you have with your with your policyholders or with your customers and i think the worst thing that could happen is for a company to to be collecting information and using information in a way that that the the users the the policyholders don't don't know about or don't approve of i think that would be a major setback to to the deployment of some of these safety technologies i would totally agree in fact i should hey startups out there Look, you should call Dan if you have an idea and you actually are really excited about protecting people's privacies because a lot of a lot of investors are very excited about the the stream of data and not as excited about uh, the the end user relationship. So uh, please do, please do call me. Yeah. He's like, yes, please, everyone, call me. Um, all right, and let's talk about kind of the insurance business at large is basically built on. It's built on risk. I mean, it's it's built on calculating risk. I have a good friend of mine who's an actuary, um, sure. which is a very dry occupation, but it's a very, very important. Some people, right? <laughs> she she's actually a lot of fun, but um, but very and very good at math. But yeah. so, as you introduce more data, and and let's say you know you you can introduce more data because I I do think people will give maybe not about their driving, which feels a lot more about choice, but I think more data about their homes. I would I would certainly love to share with my insurance company humidity levels in my home, for example, especially if I thought you guys could detect leaks faster than me um, based right. on some sort of algorithms and data that you guys have, right? Right, um, right. So if I started sharing that kind of data, I feel like there there could be a point when you could start really predicting and eliminating kind of acts of God in some sense, maybe not from weather, but definitely, you know, leaks and maybe not fire from lightning, but maybe fire from or massive fires from electrical shorts. I don't know. So what does that mean for the business of being an insurance company? Does that, does that mean your premiums go down as a consumer and your, I don't know. Let's look at the insurance industry 20 years from now. I, what yeah, does it look like? Yeah. Well, that, that's a good question, and, and uh, I think appropriately wildly open-ended, because I, I think we're, we're going to determine it here over the next 20 years. The, the way I think about um, 
the, the value of data, and I hope I don't tell too boring a story here, but it, the example I think of is it goes back to the founding of, of our company, American Family Insurance, back in 1927. The, uh, and this, I think, to me highlights highlights how, how new information can can play out over the course of decades. The, the way our company was started was uh, an insurance salesperson in Wisconsin named Herman Whitwer uh, realized that some of his customers were being overcharged by the actuarial models that were prevalent at the time because the actuarial models were based on mostly city drivers, and he was insuring a, a lot of farmers in Wisconsin who, because of our lovely weather, wouldn't drive in the winter because no one would plow out the roads. And so he recognized that that's a, that's a pricing distortion that he should take advantage of by offering lower-priced insurance based on just that information. So that's the first way that new information can play out is if we realize that people who maybe are predisposed to having IoT solutions in their homes are just naturally lower risk, then we can see uh, the opportunity to, to, to build that into the pricing that, that makes up their individualized price. The other way that I think it plays out, though, and I, this is what I'm even more excited about, is that deployment of these devices can lower the overall risk. It can engineer the risk down within a home in the same way that we would expect safety technologies and autonomous vehicles to engineer the, the risk down in, in autos over the next decade or two. Uh, we think IoT in the home can can have the effect of lowering the aggregate risk of the entire pool of insureds. All right. Yeah, and I guess if we take it, transpose that out to wearables, we could possibly see the same thing in, in health insurance, perhaps. I don't know. Health or life insurance, yeah. All righty. Um, well, gosh, Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I am. I have. I have many thoughts about this, and in. Like, I can't wait to get my sensors in my house actually working all the time. We didn't really talk about that. Um, actually, let's let's go there. Just okay. final question. Um, how long do you think this is actually going to be something viable? And this is probably near term, but how long in the near term till these sensors are actually trustworthy enough that you will actually subsidize them and expect them to work in someone's home? Well, I, I think there's different levels of uh, engagement from a, from an insurance company point of view. I think the first thing that we'll see, and we're, and we're already seeing it, is for insurance companies to expand the definition of, of uh, security system discounts to include do-it-yourself systems, and that, that's already happening. So um, you'll you'll see more of that. And I think what what will happen over the next I would say a couple years, and I know we're going to be pretty active in, in testing these uh, a range of devices, both within our investment portfolio and then outside of the portfolio. Uh, we need to understand how they work, what, what's the value uh, from a loss prevention point of view, what's the, what's the value of the information that, that customers are willing to share with us from these devices. I, I think it'll be um, a really interesting space over the next couple of years as both the ecosystem develops and as as insurance companies start to engage more and more and learn more and more about how this all works. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, you bet. Thank you.